If you got your Bibles, turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 10, and we will be in verses 1 through 13. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 1 through 13. And we'll just touch on 13 today. We'll actually spend all of next week on verse 13, but we'll, we'll touch on it today. Um, the title of our lesson this morning is Learning from Bad Examples. Learning from Bad Examples. Um, when I was a, a youth pastor here uh, at River of Life for about five years, um, one of the things that I would do, we'd meet every Sunday night, and uh, probably about once every, I'd say three months, I would sit the kids down and explain the gospel. I, one of the things I wanted to make sure they knew when they left River of Life is that they understood the gospel. So about once every, I guess, two or three months, I would just do a lesson and I would just explain the gospel. And as I was explaining the gospel to them, I would remind them of how blessed they were. I mean, here they are sitting in a church on a Sunday night, nobody bothering them, uh, and somebody is standing in front of them explaining the gospel. And I would remind them how blessed they were, for example, that they were born in uh, America. They weren't born in Iran or, or India or China or Thailand. They were born here in America, and that's a, you know, that's a big deal. Uh, they were born into a country, uh, you know, I don't really believe America is a Christian country anymore, but the fact is America is still a country of Christian influences. And they were born into a country with Christian influences, not Hindu influence, not Buddhism or, or Islam or anything like that. Not only were they born in America, but most of them were born in the South. Now, I don't know how many of y'all have traveled around the country, but there are places in America where you can go, for example, in the Northwest, where their respect for Christian influences is not like it is here. Now, I don't know if y'all know that or not, but there's places in America that you're... You're very fortunate to be born in the South because here Christianity is, is still a big deal. There are places in this country where they really could care less, and I've been to some of those places, and it is kind of shocking to realize I'm still in America, and these people, they don't really care uh, about Christ. They don't care about Christian influences. And, they were, and these kids are born into a family that at least encouraged them to attend church or at least didn't stop them. Right? I mean, because they're sitting there on a Sunday night. And what I wanted them to understand was that through no efforts of their own, they didn't ask for it to, to be born uh, into the family they were born into. They didn't ask to be born into America. They didn't ask to be born. And by the way, please understand, do you know, and, and I kept trying to explain this to them, don't, do you know if you were born in Iran to a Muslim family, do you know how difficult it is to hear the gospel? That's not an easy thing. If you were born in, in India to a Hindu family, or if you're born in, um, in China to a Buddhist family, do you know how difficult it is to hear the gospel? That's not an easy thing. But these kids were born into America, born in the South, born to a family that took them to church, and on a Sunday night, they're sitting there in a, in a nice, comfortable chair listening to somebody explain the gospel. In other words through no efforts of their own, they've been brought to the door of salvation. They have literally been placed right at the door to hear the, the gospel. Now, I would always explain to them that nobody can take you through the door. 
right? I, your family can bring you to the door. They can bring you to the truth so that you're sitting there, you're listening to it. But the fact is, Jesus said in, in Luke 13, 24, that you've got to fight to get through that door. You've got to strive to enter through that door. You, you do that on your own. Nobody can do that for you, okay? So I would always explain that to them, that they are very blessed, very fortunate to be where they are on that particular night hearing the gospel. But the fact was, they have to make their own decisions. Now, today, as you're... I'm not the youth pastor of here anymore, but I am a Bible study teacher. And today what I want to do as your Bible study teacher, I want to remind you of something very similar. And that is, as, mem as church members here, or attendees here at River of Life, I think you are very, very blessed. You are very privileged to be able to get up every Sunday and come to, to this church. I mean, just think about for a minute this church, how much provision we've been, we've been given. Um, I've got a friend of mine that's a, 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 an elder board member at a church in, in St. Louis, and, and their church is, is just about going under. Uh, when the economy tanked, their, their tithes tanked, their giving tanked, they had, to let, they had to let go of people and staff members, and the church just, just pretty much fell apart. We've never had anything like that here, never. Giving is always, people have always given at this church, and we've never had to endure anything like that. How much provision we've been given, how many, how many opportunities do you have at this church to feed your soul? Think about that. How many opportunities do you have? If you like me, come to my class. If you don't like me, there's other classes. You get to, you get to listen to people that are teaching the Bible. You get to listen to a pastor that preaches the Bible. You've got life groups. You've got groups on marriage. You've got groups on parenting. You've got groups on all these different things that you can go to to build yourself up and to feed your soul. I hope you know how blessed you are. And by the way, I can't tell you how many people I've talked to that have left this church to move away, and they think, well, I'll go to this new town, or I'll go to this new city, and I'll find a church like River of Life. And then I've, I've talked to them people, and they say, man, it, it just wasn't as easy as I thought it would be. Yeah, there's just not that many of them out there. This church is unified. This church walks in unity. Um, you know, and it's not because we all agree on it. Pastor Henry and I don't agree on everything. We've sat down and talked, but, but the fact is, one thing we agree on is we both love Jesus. And we love Jesus more than those external things. And so we just move on and keep going. This church is, I mean, this is, you are highly privileged. You are blessed to attend this church. And as we look at the future, we don't really have any reason to think that's going to change. We were blessed five years ago. We're blessed today. We'll be blessed in five years from now. But today's passage is exactly all about that. It's a warning to people who are highly blessed, don't lose your diligence. Just because you're privileged, just because you're blessed, don't lose your diligence. In fact, the more privileged we are, the more careful we need to be because there's a real danger in being highly privileged. And the danger is, is you'll get lazy. You think, you'll think because it's always been, it'll always be. It's always been this way, it'll always be this way. And, and, and that is an extremely dangerous attitude to take. As a church and as an individual, we cannot assume that just because we've been blessed in the past 
that we're going to be we're going to be blessed in the future. That, again, that's a dangerous attitude, and one which today's passage will ref, will warn us that we should refrain from. So let's start with some context before we get to First Corinthians ten one through thirteen. Let's first put it in a little bit of of context. You remember. At the end of chapter 9, Paul says this to the Corinthian church. He says, even though they're highly blessed... Remember, Corinth is a blessed church. Who started that church? The Apostle Paul. I mean, that's pretty blessed when when the, the man that started your church is the Apostle Paul. They live in a wealthy community. They're not out in the sticks. They're in a wealthy community. They've got a, 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 all these people coming through that they've got the ability to, to witness to and to win to Christ. Uh, he tells them before, he says, you're already rich. You'll remember that in chapter 1. He says, you, you, you've got all the gifts. You haven't been left behind. Any, they are a blessed and privileged church. And then Paul says to them in chapter 9, he says, don't you know that those who run in a race all run, but only one gets the prize? You see, I think for us, if we would just admit it, can we, if we're really honest sometimes, we'll admit how easy it is for us to think that we're not really in a race at all. It it's almost feels more time, sometimes like we're more in an easy chair than we're in a, in a race. I mean, just think about it. Again, you live in America. You're free to come and go as you please. You could get up this morning, come to church or not come to church. Nobody, nobody's going to stop you. Right? I mean, just it it's almost feels like you're not really in a race. It's more like we're just in a, maybe we're in this, this easy chair. It's almost the opposite of a race. God has granted us so many good things. We live in a free country, a wealthy country, a beautiful country. I know some of y'all. Y'all got good jobs. You got good homes. You got good families. You are blessed. Life sometimes, compared to other people in this world, is very, very good. And then you get up on Sunday and you come to this church and you get the best teaching and the best preaching and the best fellowship. I mean, you are highly blessed. And, and, and we should remember that. But sometimes it really feels like, well, I don't really, who really needs to run and fight and work and strive? I mean, this is, you know, this is, this, our life is pretty good. And again, it's very easy to, for us to forget that Paul says this life is a race that calls for self-denial and self-control. It's very easy for us to forget that. And you see, that's the danger. The danger is you can become so comfortable in your life that you don't, no longer you keep guard over your heart, over your mind, and over your soul. And when you don't keep guard, when you're not diligent, that's exactly when sin will subtly sneak in. See, that's exactly what Paul was concerned about with the church at Corinth. He was concerned about them. Man, you're rich. You've got, you've got all these gifts. You, you, you've got direct con. You, you can write letters to me and ask me questions. You've got all these liberties and freedoms. You're, you're no longer under the law. You're no longer under, you know, you're not, you're not, you're forgiven. You're not enslaved by sin. Grace upon grace upon grace upon grace. Paul says, I'm concerned that you're not going to discipline your body. I'm concerned that you're not going to deny yourself. You're not going to control your flesh. That was what he's worried about. So if he was worried about that at Corinth, I'm telling you, we are in the same boat today. This, this passage of Scripture is, if it was written yesterday, could have not been more apropos for, for us here at River of Life. So this is what Paul says. I'm concerned that you're not going to run the race like a winner. 
So, he says, let me remind you about Israel. Let me remind you, let me give you an example of another people, another nation, another group that had the same privileges you did, and yet they were disqualified. Okay? See, here, here you've got this nation of Israel who are literally plucked out of all the peoples of the earth. They are chosen by God to be his people. Yet those same people that he took out of the land of Egypt die in the wilderness. They're disqualified from the promised land. And Paul says, let me remind you about that. And the reason this is so important this morning is because Paul tells us, I'm going to give you their example is for us to learn from. Their example was written down for our instruction, for, and not just for the church at Corinth, but for you and I to, to learn from. That's why we titled it this morning, Learning from Bad Examples. Now, the key verse in our passage today is verse 12. Paul says this, Let him who thinks he stands take heed that he does not fall. You see, this is all... Notice in that verse, let him who what? Thinks. You see, this is all about the mindset of a believer, the mindset of a person. Let him who thinks he stands. See, this, there's this person sitting there, and they're thinking, man, I'm, I'm okay. Man, I've been blessed. I, I, I live in a, I've got a blessed family. I've got a blessed church. I've got a blessed country. I've got a blessed life. And you get overconfident. And you feel some way that the privileges will never end, that you're, you're not like other people. That somehow you're impervious, you're protected, you're, you're, uh, you know, you're, uh, the sins that befall other people, they can't happen to you. You're too strong for that. And Paul says, when you think that way, you better be ready. Because the test is coming. That, that, that is a dangerous attitude to, to have. A very dangerous way to think. So let's you and I this morning, who are, by the way, truly blessed and truly privileged people, we better take today's warning to heart because this is written to, to us. Let's start by reading verses 1 through 4. Paul says this. Now, remember, he's writing and he's, he's concerned about them, that they're highly privileged. He thinks, man, you're not going to discipline your body. You're going to get overconfident. Let me remind you of Israel. Let me give you an example of what could happen to you. So he writes this in verse 1 through 4. He says, For I do not want you to be unaware, brethren, that our fathers were all under the cloud, and they all passed through the sea, and they all were baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea, and they all ate the same spiritual food, and they all drank the same spiritual drink, for they were drinking from a spiritual rock which followed them, and the rock was Christ. Now, in those first verses, you cannot help but see the word all. It actually appears five times in four verses. And Paul is stressing the fact that the whole nation of Israel, this is every individual, received the privileges of divine blessing. You see, sometimes it's easy to talk about Israel and you see them as this big entity or this object or this nation and you forget very quickly that Israel is made up of people, individual people like you and me. It's the same here at River of Life. A lot of times we can talk about River of Life, or we can talk about the church, and we see it as kind of this, this entity or this object, but we forget that that church is made up of you and me and him and her. 
and he and she, right? It's, it's individual people that, that, all the, that we're talking about, not just this some, some entity. It's people, and that's what Paul says. They all did these things. They all saw these things. He says this, they were all under the cloud. Now, what does he mean by that? Well, in Exodus 13, 21, Paul is talking about the nation of Israel being brought out of Egypt. And he says this in Exodus 13, 21. He says, The Lord was going before them in a pillar of cloud by day to lead them on the way, and in a pillar of fire by night to give them light, that they might travel by day and, and by night. You see, what they would do is they would camp, and, and there would be a pillar of cloud, not just a little cloud up in the sky, but a pillar that went from the ground up to the sky. And when that cloud would move, they'd pick up camp and they'd follow the cloud. And at night, it would be a pillar of fire. And if the pillar of fire would move, they'd all take up camp and follow. See, what Paul wants us to see here, and he goes on to say, they all passed through the Red Sea, right? Which was, of course, the, the foundational experience of their deliverance from Egypt. What Paul wants you and I to see is that every person there, the whole nation, experienced the miraculous leading of God. God himself led them. And they all saw it with their own two eyes. Everybody with me? They saw that. Not just some nation, but every person in that tent, every, in that encampment, saw that pillar of cloud. They saw the seas separate. They walked through it individually. Every mother, every father, every child, every parent, in, those people saw those things. He goes on in verse 2, and he says, They were all baptized into Moses. Now, what he's, what he's talking about here is they were all immersed into, into Moses' leadership, right? In other words, they were identified with Moses. Just think about this for a second. One of the greatest men to ever live, a man who literally walked and talked with God. Can you imagine what a privilege it would be to be under his leadership? Now, see what Paul's saying. Not only are you being led miraculously by God, but on top of that, God has given you probably the greatest leader that's ever walked this earth in a man named Moses. A man who is divinely appointed, divinely prepared, divinely gifted, and you get him as a leader. And they all experienced that, right? Every one of them saw Moses. They, they, I mean, they saw... So they got God guiding them. Now they've got Moses, one of the greatest men ever lived, being their, their leader. Paul says they all were baptized into Moses. He goes on to say in verse 3, they all ate the same spiritual food. We know the story. God miraculously fed, fed them in the wilderness, right? He gave them manna. He gave them the quail when they complained about the manna. He gave them the, the meat to eat. He nourished them in the wilderness for 40 years. In verse 4 it says this, and they all drank the same spiritual drink, for they were drinking from a spiritual rock which followed them, and the rock was Christ. We know the story there. God, when they got thirsty, he even brought water out of a rock to take care of them and to, and to, to, to quench their thirst. And Paul says something here, and don't miss this. He says the rock was Christ. You see, what Paul wants us to understand is that even back then, even, you know, those thousands of years ago, when Moses was leading them through the wilderness, even then, Jesus was there. Jesus was there with them, right? He was the one feeding them. He was the one nourishing them. The same Jesus that feeds and nourishes who? Us. You see, this is what Paul... We can't miss the analogy here. 
See, can you imagine how privileged they were to be rescued and delivered by God, to be guided and led by God, and to be fed and nourished by God? But aren't we exactly the same? Haven't we been delivered from the bondage of sin? Haven't we been delivered from death and hell? Haven't we been rescued? Haven't we been saved? Aren't we led and guided by God himself? Not only that, how about Pastor Henry? Do do you believe Pastor Henry is called to lead this church? If you do, then you have to believe that he is divinely appointed, divinely gifted. What about your, your Bible study teachers? When you sit under a Bible study teacher, do you really sit there and think, man, that, that person is called to teach? If you believe that, then you've got to believe that person is divinely led, divinely appointed, divinely gifted. See, this is the point that even today as you sit here, you've been rescued. You've been led by God, both himself uh, in guiding you and also providing you leaders. And you are fed and nourished. He's taking care of your every need, not just spiritually, but physically. See, don't miss the analogy here. We are just like them. That's exactly what Paul wants us to see. We've been delivered from bondage. We've been led and guided both by God and his anointed men, even this very day. And we're all nourished and fed by Christ himself on a daily basis. Here comes the shocker in verse 5. Paul says this, Nevertheless, with most of them, God was not well pleased, for they were laid low in the wilderness. Now, Paul actually says that nicely. If you go back to Numbers fourteen sixteen, the author of Numbers doesn't say it quite as nicely. He says this, Because the Lord could not bring this people into the land which he promised them by oath, Therefore, he slaughtered them in the wilderness. You go back and look at that. Pretty much every adult, every, uh, the, some of the children went in, but every adult that was in that, that nation died in the wilderness. Only two went in. Out of all the, the, the millions of people, two of them went in, Joshua and Caleb. The rest of them were disqualified. The rest of them died in the wilderness. And see, Paul is, again, y'all understand what he's doing? He's warning who? Us. He he says, learn from their example. They were blessed, you're blessed. They were led, you're led. They were privileged, you're privileged. Learn from their example. Now, here's here's the question. What went wrong? What happened to them that could happen to us? Okay? The answer turns out to be pretty simple in verse 6. Paul tells us. Now, these things happened as examples for us so that we would not crave evil things as they also crave. You see, that's what it turns out that the answer is pretty simple. The loss of privilege and blessing is related to the craving of evil things. It happened to them, and it can happen to us. Now, Paul is going to get very specific and point out four examples of what they did. Okay, And again, keep in mind... He's writing this for you and I to learn from, not just as some theology example. He wants us to learn from these things. He said they lost their privilege, they lost their blessing, because in their life they weren't satisfied, and they craved evil things, they desired evil things, they wanted evil things. Well, what what did they do? Well, look at the first one, verse 7. He says this, Do not be idolaters as some of them were. 
As it is written, the people sat down to eat and drink, and they stood up to play. If you go back, Paul is quoting from Exodus 32. Y'all remember the story, right? Moses goes up on the mountain uh, to, to get the Ten Commandments. And the people are down at the foot of the mountain, and they're waiting, and he doesn't come down. I don't know when they expected him, if they expected him that night or the next morning, but the fact was he didn't come back down when they thought he should have. And they get antsy. They get nervous. And it says this, Now when the people saw that Moses delayed to come down the mountain, the people assembled about Aaron and said to him, Come, make us a God who will go before us. And all the people tore off the gold rings which were in their ears, and they brought them to Aaron. And he took this from their hand, and he fashioned it with a graving tool, and he made it into a molten calf. And Aaron, now watch this right here. <laughs> Aaron made a proclamation and said, Tomorrow shall be a feast to the golden calf. Is that what he said? No. He said, Tomorrow shall be a feast to the Lord. So the next day they rose early and offered burnt offerings, and they brought peace offerings, and the people sat down to eat and to drink, and they rose up to play. You know, there's a couple things there that really jumped out at me. You know, how, how many, you see what they wanted? If those three words don't define this culture in this generation, I don't know what does. All they wanted was to eat, drink, and play. That's all they wanted. They didn't care, you know, eat, drink, and play. And here's what they did, and they did it under the guise of serving the Lord. Everybody see that? Tomorrow, we'll have a feast for the Lord. Oh, I'm a Christian. Oh, I go to church. Oh, I do this. I do that. But underneath, all I really want to do is eat, drink, and play. See, that's, that was the evil things they craved. See, now, and, and notice, is there anything, by the way, is there anything evil about eating, drinking, and playing? Not inherently, is it? But see, the fact is, Paul calls it what? Let's go back. Do not be what? Idolaters. See, what they did is they put those things ahead of God in their life. They took the eating and the drinking and the playing, and they said, that's more important than God. And they immediately become idolaters. See? And you look at Colossians 3, 5. Paul says this, Put to death, therefore, whatever is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. See, anytime you covet something, anytime you want something more, anytime you crave something, desire something more than God, you become an idolater. It can be, by the way, it can be a good thing. It could be eating and drinking and playing and family and career. None of those are inherently bad, but when you put them in front of God, you become an idolater. So I ask you this morning in your life, what are your priorities? That's an easy question. What are your priorities? Is he first in your life, or is there other things? Is your job first? Is your family first? Is your career first? Is your education first? Is your, is your hobbies first? If you are, Paul says you're an idolater. Don't do that, he said. That's how they fell in the wilderness. They thought they were okay, but they weren't. He goes on, immorality, verse 8. Nor let us act immorally as some of them did, and 23,000 fell in one day. He's referring to Numbers 25. It says this, Now Israel remained in Acacia Grove, and the people began to commit harlotry with the women of Moab. 
And they invited the people to the sacrifices of their gods, and the people ate and bowed down to their gods. So Israel was joined to Baal of Peor, and the anger of the Lord was aroused against Israel, and he killed 23,000 of them in, in one day. He goes on in verse 9, talks about testing God. He says, Nor let us try the Lord as some of them did and were destroyed by serpents. He's referring here to Numbers 21, and the people became impatient because of the journey. And the people spoke against God and Moses. Why have you brought us out of Egypt to die in the wilderness? For there's no food and water, and we hate or we loathe this miserable food. And the Lord sent fiery serpents among the people, and they bit the people so that many of them died. You see, they were never satisfied. They were always testing God. Give us this, give us that. It was always the next thing, the next thing, the next thing. Okay, they're never content. And he goes on in verse 10, he says this, nor grumble as some of them did and were destroyed by the destroyer. Number 16 says this, but on the next day all the congregation of the sons of Israel grumbled against Moses and Aaron. And the Lord spoke to Moses and says, get away from this congregation that I may consume them instantly. And on that day, those who died by the plague were 14,700. Okay? So Paul, so Paul tells us four specific things that they did, four specific evil things that they craved. Though they were highly privileged, though they, there were still things in their heart and in their lives that they put in front of God. And by the way, always remember, idolatry doesn't have to be a golden calf. Idolatry doesn't have to be a little wooden animal or a little wooden man you put on your, your mantle and bow down to. Idolatry is anything in your life that you crave more than God. Anything in your life that you crave more than God, Paul says that's idolatry. Though they were highly blessed, they allowed the lure of sexual immorality to pull them into the world, and they became just like the world. Though they were highly privileged, they always wanted more and better things, and they always put God to the test in order to get it. Well, God, we're your people. If you really love us, you'll give us this. I'm sick of this thing you've been giving me. I need something better. Always trying God, always putting Him to the test. And they died in the wilderness because of that. And though they were highly blessed, they were never content. Their heart continued to try and find satisfaction in things other than God him, himself, which, by the way, is just a symptom of their idolatry. You see, these were the sins of the people of the children of Israel. Flirting with the world, its idols and its morals, and pushing the patience of God to the limits, grumbling and complaining when they weren't satisfied. And please note, right alongside the craving of evil things, you'll always find a lack of self-control and a lack of self-denial. I'm not going to deny myself. I want those things. I need those things. And the Bible says they were disqualified because of it. Now, we come to verse 11 and 12. So Paul says this, Now, these things happened to them as an example, and they were written for our instruction upon whom the ends of the ages have come. Therefore, Paul says, let him who thinks he stands take heed that he does not fall. As a church, if I were to ask you this morning, do you think River of Life is standing or falling? Hello? Standing or falling? Standing, of course. Why would you think we're falling? 
Money's good. We're, we're, we're blessed in that way. We got a great preacher. We got Bible study teachers. We got great worship. We got a roof. I mean, everything's good, right? What if I ask you as an individual, do you think you're standing or falling? I got somebody going like this. You know, and if we're honest, that's we, 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 if we really step, step back and look at it objectively, that's right. There's days we're good and there's days we're down. But overall, if you ask most people, do you think you're standing or falling? Most people are probably going to say, well, I'm, 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 pretty good. I'm doing pretty good. I mean, just look, evidenced by the fact there's a, there's a lot of people that could be here this morning that are not. You, you, you want the Word. You want to learn. You want to know God and serve God. I would say that's a pretty good sign you're standing, right? You're, you're growing, you're, you're edifying, you're taking, you're taking advantage of the provision to build up your soul. You're, you're doing good things. That's all good. You see, I'd be, I think it would be safe to say that as a church, and as individuals, we think we stand. We would look at ourselves and say, I'm strong, I'm faithful, I'm knowledgeable, I'm blessed. And by the way, I would say those things about myself right now. I feel strong. I feel knowledgeable. I feel faithful. I feel blessed. See, then that scripture is for who? It's for me. It's for you. Because see, when you think you stand, when you feel that way in your mind, Paul says, beware. Take heed. Be on guard. That's the exact point that you need to be very, very careful. Take heed in the Greek literally means to beware. It means literally to guard, be on guard. I mean, to, to, to take your weapons and start looking because you don't know where it's coming from. You see, that's exactly when the test is going to, to come. The ancient city of Sardis, if you, go, you can go Google this if you want to, the ancient city of Sardis in Mesopotamia was built up on a cliff. And uh, uh, about three-quarters of the city was, was just a cliff. It was surrounded by a cliff. And then the backside of it, which was actually where you got access down to the valley, was, was uh, covered or, or surrounded by 60-foot walls. I mean, the city was considered to be impregnable. I mean, there was no way anybody could ever, ever take it because you couldn't actually get into it. In fact, they were so confident that nobody could take the city that they had very few soldiers in the city, just a very minimum soldiers to defend the city because they were just, they were very confident that nobody could ever take their city because you couldn't scale those cliffs. You couldn't get through those walls. When Cyrus, king of Persia, came against the city to besiege it, he offered a reward to any of his soldiers that could figure out a way to get in. If you can figure out a way to get into that city, I'll give you this huge reward. And there's one soldier, a man by the name of Herodes, and he began to watch that city every day. He was, a, he was a, on guard duty or something. He just began to watch it and see what would happen. And one day, he saw someone accidentally drop something over the cliff, a hat or a helmet or something. And as he watched them, he saw how they came down. He watched this little secret trail, how it came down. He watched them come down the trail, and then he watched them go back up. And that night, he took a small band of soldiers and he went up that little trail and he went into the city and he took the whole city. Un nobody stopped him because he found a way in. 
He watched very carefully, and he found a way in. You see, the devil is just like that soldier. In your life and mine, he's always watching to find a way in. And when he finds it, he is going to test you. He is going to tempt you. And you see, when we think we're impregnable, when we think we're impervious, when we think, I'm not like other people, those sins will never catch me. See, that's when you just sit back kind of and relax and, and you're just, you don't really worry about it. And that's exactly when the devil finds the way in to tempt you, to put something in your, in your path. In fact, that's exactly what brings us to verse 13. See, as immediately after saying, you need to beware, you need to take heed, Paul says this, No temptation has overtaken you, but such as is common to man. And God is faithful, who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able, but with the temptation will provide the way of escape also, so that you will be able to endure it. See, Paul says, when you think you stand, it's coming. And, and, he, and this almost seems disconnected, but you can see how it's connected, right? Because he said, the test is coming, the temptation's coming. And, it, and he almost goes ahead and comforts them some way. He says, look... I want you to understand a few things about temptation. Number one, it's not, nothing's going to happen to you that hadn't happened to other, uh, millions of other people. Right? It's common across the board. And God is faithful, and He'll never allow you to be tempted beyond in a way that you can't take it, that you can't endure it. He will give you the way out. Now, we're going to spend next week on that verse because there's some really, really interesting things in that verse. So next week, we'll cover one verse, which is 1 Corinthians 10, 13. But what we want to understand is this today. Every temptation, and listen to me very closely, every temptation is an allurement to forsake our reliance upon God and place our trust and our peace and find our pleasure in something else. Every temptation that says, hey, come on over here. You'll find peace over here. You'll find more pleasure over here. You'll be more blessed over here. You'll find more assurance over here. That's what every, it's, it's the carrot on the stick, right? Come on over here. Don't put your faith in God. Don't put your trust in God. Don't find your pleasure and your joy in Him. You'll find it over here if you'll just follow me, if you'll just follow or take this. Every temptation is for that reason and for that reason only. And when you give in to temptation, you immediately become an idolater, do you not? Because you just put something ahead of God. Oh, I, I, you know, I need that more than I need him. And if you don't look out, you'll become immoral without even knowing how it happened, letting the garbage of the world fill your, your mind. You'll find yourself testing God just like the Israelites did, not being content anymore with what you have, always wanting God to do more and more and more. And then you'll grumble and complain when he doesn't do it exactly the way you want it done. See, you'll, do, you'll become just like the nation of Israel. And if you're not careful, Paul says you'll be disqualified. Now again, we're going to talk about verse 13 in much more detail next week. But for now, Paul's point is this. When you think you stand, when you think you're strong and knowledgeable and privileged, when you think, man, that, that stuff will not happen to me, cannot happen to me, Paul says that's exactly when you need to be on your guard because the temptation is coming. It's coming. Paul's warning today for us is this. Don't think it can't happen to you. 
Don't think it can't happen to you. He says, compete. Run like a winner. Buffet your body. Bring it into submission. Control yourself. Because if you don't, he says, it will happen to you. Now, one more quick thing this morning, then we're closing. I believe, by the way, just so y'all, there's no, uh, everybody knows I'm real clear on this. I don't believe a, a, a true Christian that's really saved can ever lose their salvation. I believe they will run the race like a winner. I believe they will endure to the end. But see, how do you think God keeps us running? How do you think he keeps us fighting? How do you think he keeps us enduring? Okay? No, he does it just like we're doing here today. That's exactly what we're doing today. You see, he does it with scriptures like 1 Corinthians 10, 13, where he says, don't be like them. Learn from their example. He does it with sermons and, and Bible studies, just like today, where the warning goes out and, he's, and, and the warning is sounded, don't be like them. Fight, run, strive, work. Okay? See, I'm saved by grace. Remember what Paul says last week? I work more than all of them. But why did he work hard? Because Jesus was already in him. Philippians 3, ugh, I'm not going to remember now. Philippians 3 says, I press on toward the goal. Not that I'm already perfect, but I press toward the goal. Why, Paul? Because Christ Jesus is already inside of me. In other words, he's, he's the engine that's pushing me and making me fight and making me run. And how does he, what's the fuel for that engine? Scripture. It's the word telling us, you fight, strive, endure, keep on. Don't lose, you know, don't lose faith, keep on. It's just like this morning. See, and, and true Christians, listen, they take heed, they beware, and you see they overcome because of it.